One is we're continuing our series in the walk through the book of James, and we have uh, two more sermons left in that series. And I'll tell you, I have loved going through the book of James. Uh, it was a personal request from my friend Jay. He said, I love James. And I said, we'll do it. We'll do it just for you, Jay. So uh, it has really shaped me in a great way, and I hope you as well. Um, Stephen Lee is here with us today. And Stephen Lee is currently a church planner and resident at Spanish River Church up in Boca Raton, Florida. But in the past, he is the founding pastor of Redeemer City Church in Washington, D.C. He planted Redeemer City Church. And in the current, in the current situation, he's trying to figure out what's next. And so even as we go out today, we want to be praying for him and his family. Uh, he is married and has five children. Him and Tiffany have five children. He enjoys watching and playing basketball and watching HGTV. Amen. Amen. Uh, Stephen is a smart guy. He has his BA in political science from University of Maryland, his master's of theology from Dallas Theological Seminary, and is completing a doctor of ministry in church leadership from Fuller Theological Seminary. So I'm going to pray, and he's going to come up and bring the word to us. Amen. Lord, thank you so much uh, for my brother. I pray that you would give him words and that you would use uh, the scripture this morning and the preaching of it to change us. We want to be transformed, not just informed. We want to love differently. We want to act differently. We want to be bold. We want to be repentant of our sins, and we want to love you more. That can only happen if your spirit shows up in a mighty way this morning. And so I pray for my brother as he preaches and as we listen that you would change us. And all God's people said, let's welcome Stephen. Amen. Good morning. So good to be here. Y'all look good. Y'all a good looking group. It's because it, it's just South Florida. It's always 80 every day. Well, again, it is a pleasure to be here. Um, you know, all the really neat things that John said about me, that's just because, uh, you know, all the school and all those other types of things, it's just, uh, it's boredom a lot of times. So it's not, so it, it doesn't say a whole lot about, I think, me, but I've, um, you know, it's, it's really just been a pleasure over these last few years. My wife and I planted a church in Washington, D.C., and so I was telling her when we were walking in uh, just how neat it was to be, uh, you know, in a church plant again. I mean, a, a new church plant. Y'all about to celebrate one year. That's a big deal. That is amazing. And, uh, and so uh, we pastored that church for three and a half years, and that church is still going uh, really well in Washington, D.C., and so we're just kind of praying about what's next, and so I'm, again, very excited to be here to share with you all and just want to celebrate all that God is doing here. Um, it really just warms my heart to just see this uh, beautiful, multi-ethnic um, collection of God's people, and so uh, it's just a pleasure to celebrate. I obviously want to honor my wife. She's here uh, with me uh, this morning, Tiffany. We've been married for 12 years, and uh, I, I promise you, it was not our church growth strategy to just have kids to grow the church. It, uh, it just, you know, I, I was going to say she can't keep her hands off me, but that's really not true. It's, 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 it's really the opposite way around. And at this point, we've had five kids, and she says, no more. She is, she is like, brother, I need a break. So we have, we have eight, five, three, two, and four months old. Yeah, it's crazy. So a lot of times we'll walk by people uh, in the grocery store and they say, you need cable. Like you need some other, uh, you need something else, something else to do. Um, 
So we're going to be, this morning, we're going to be in uh, James, the fourth chapter. Uh, I'm going to read verses uh, verses 13 uh, through chapter 5 in verse verse 11. So I'm going to read a a good amount of text, uh, but I promise I'll have you out by two. And and so uh, after we do that, I'll give you a title. And then we'll pray, and, and uh, I promise I won't hold you too long. Uh, let's uh, read together. We're going to be in James, the fourth uh, chapter. We're going to start at verse 13. We're going to read all the way through uh, chapter 5 and verse 11. Here's James, the brother of Jesus, right? He says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there to do business, to make a profit. He says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not to do it. Chapter 5, it says, Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has Rot at your clothes, they are moth-eaten. It says your gold and silver are corroded, and the corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the, they pay, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ear of the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourself. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who do not resist you. Verse 7, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You must also be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Verse 10, it says, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord has brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. I just want to title, just for a very kind of brief moment with you, uh, speak from the title, Here Today, But What Do We Do About Tomorrow? So I'm going to explain a little bit about that, that what that uh, means this particular text. Here today, what are we to do about tomorrow? Let me pray, and then we're just going to ask the Lord to, again, bless our time. Lord, we, again, we love you. We thank you so much for Uh, this church, this outpost in Hollywood and Hollandale that you have placed here sovereignly uh, to make much of Jesus, to invite people to desperate dependence upon him. And so, Lord, this is uh, just a a very sacred moment where uh, you uh, speak directly to your people and you communicate what you would desire for them to hear. And I know, Lord, that if I scan the room, there's all different types of challenges and opportunities, anxieties, and, and things that are causing us either extreme amounts of joy or often perhaps heartache. And so, Lord, I just ask in these brief moments that you would speak directly to the hearts of your people. Lord, would they be encouraged? Would they be challenged? 
uh, would they come away with a greater understanding of who you are and how we would serve you best in the times in which you've given us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. I want to ask you a question uh, really quick before we get started. Uh, who in here has ever moved before? You ever moved? You ever moved? Okay, so we got that. That's happened. Okay. Second question is who has uh, ever moved to a house that somebody lived in before you lived there? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Here's my third question. Who has moved to a house that somebody has lived in before you lived there, and when you moved in, you received some of their mail? Okay. I won't do the hand. Say who opened people's mail, but... <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I think you realize a little bit just about kind of life in general is, you know, we, we often move a lot. I, th I think I was reading some statistic, and it said that, uh, that Americans move once every five to seven years. And, uh, and one of the things that I was thinking about I was preparing for this message is my wife and I, we've moved a lot. When we moved to D.C. to plant the church, we moved four times uh, in two years. It was, it was just crazy. We were just all over the place. My wife has forgiven me for all of that, all those different moves. But what would often happen when we moved to these particular locations is we would, al we would always move into a place where somebody else had lived before. And invariably, what would happen is when the mailman came, we would always get a little bit of mail from uh, the previous owner. And, and here's what, what, what most of the times would happen is, you know, I would, you know, if I was in a, in a good mood, I'd take kind of the mail and I would circle it and I would say, hey, this person doesn't live here and I would give it back to uh, the mail or post, uh, post mailman and uh, the mailman would then kind of do whatever he or she would do with it. But occasionally, uh, some mail would show up and it would say the person's name who used to live here, but it would also say, guess, guess what? Or current resident, right? So obviously, I'm not in trouble, okay? So what that meant when it said or current resident, it meant that, that I could open that mail and, and, and at times when I opened that mail, uh, I would, you know, I, I would, you know, maybe it was an offer for cable half off or maybe it was a new uh, kind of store that was opening up the street. But often when I opened up somebody else's mail, again, said or current resident, um, I was able to benefit uh, from something that was initially not uh, targeted to me, but it was, it, it kind of came to my house. And so I was able to benefit from that. And that's why I, I was thinking a little bit about where we are today. And that's what I love about the book of James. The book of James reminds me just of that entire interaction because, because James is not writing directly to us. He's writing to a congregation in the first century. But what I love is when James's mail shows up at my house, man, I, I benefit from it. When I start reading stuff and, I, and James starts talking about trials and tribulations and persecutions and, 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 and James, uh, as I'm reading through this book, I realize that these Christians who lived in the first century experience a lot of the same things that we experience. And, and, and one of the things that, I'm, that I've been comforted by, I think, as you read through this book and you guys have been through it, is one of, I think, the, the clear principles that we get through this book is, is that following Jesus is at times difficult. Amen. I don't know if, you know, uh, when, you know how, uh, you know, for you all, if you're all followers of Jesus, when you came to faith, um, I, I had a youth minister, God bless him, that, that let me know that when I decided to turn my life to Jesus, that there were going to be trials, there were going to be tribulations, I, that, that there would be times and seasons in my life uh, where I wouldn't have all the answers. But, but, but one of the things that I, that I also had as a foundation was this... Um, this confidence that God would meet me in the midst of, of whatever I experienced, that God was a, is a good God. 
God understands me. He knows me. He knows how he shaped me, how he's wired me. And that's what I love about this particular book, is that this book kind of shows up. James is talking to a particular congregation in the first century, but there are certain issues that, that, I mean, they just drive directly with where you and I are today. And when I think a little bit, again, about the context, is that James is writing to these Christians, and these Christians are suffering persecution as a result of their faith in Jesus. Um, uh, what, again, if you read some of the commentaries, what you often find is that, that a lot of these folks, it's not like uh, people have just erased their, their numbers from their cell phones. Like, that's, that's not it. I mean, th- that, that there are a lot of these Christians who have lost their lives. Um, they've lost uh, loved ones. They've lost property. I mean, it, it, is, it is akin to, at times, what you see in some of these third world countries, is that they have lost everything. And so James writes to these believers, and here's, I think, the, 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 the kind of the complete implication is, is though you're experiencing these difficult circumstances, it does not exempt you from walking with Jesus in the way that he's prescribed. It, it doesn't uh, and I think uh, James is one of those guys, I, th- I think James is, is kind of a guy's guy. I mean, there's not a lot of fluff. When the book starts, James just starts. He doesn't, there's not a lot of flowery stuff. He says, do this or don't do that. And that's why, we're not, one of the reasons I titled this is here today, what do we do tomorrow? Because James wants you and I to know what to do tomorrow, what to do when we leave here. Like what to do after the church is gathered. We've sung a lot of really great songs. We encourage one another the book of James is written so that we would know how to live in the midst of persecution. And maybe, we're, you know, in here, there, there's, we're not being persecuted in the exact same way as the first century Christians. But for all of us in here, there are certain things that we experience in our life that at times cause us to question God's plan and his purpose for us. They, they cause us to, to wonder, God, are you, are you, are you, are you, are you here? Are you, do, you, do you notice the thing? Do you look at my bank account? I mean, do you see the ways that I'm suffering? Do you see the way that people are talking about me on my job? Do you, do you see that since I've started following Jesus and I've started to implement these biblical principles in my life, that, that my life has not been pretty? But what James wants to do through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is to encourage us all in the midst of these situations and these circumstances. And so here's my hope just in this brief time, as I, as I, I want to give you what I believe James, again, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, desires to communicate this particular congregation about how we can thrive and how we can keep moving forward in the midst of difficult times and circumstances. So we start here in chapter, excuse me, um, chapter 4, verse 13. And I love here, as, as we'll kind of read through these kind of three paragraphs, and, and, and when, it, when we start here in verse 13, it, it starts very general. I mean, James just says, again, in the midst of a congregation who would likely be reading this letter, he says, come now, you who say. So he's just kind of, just imagine a congregation which is gathered, and they've kind of huddled around this letter, and they're reading it. And perhaps James has, has through other correspondence, has a, some sense of what's going on in this particular congregation which might be causing them challenges or heartache or might be creating division within the congregation. He says, come now all who say. He says, today or tomorrow we'll travel to such and such a city and spend a year there to do business and to make a profit. I love here in verse 13, he says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. I love this. He says, for you are like a vapor. Imagine that you, and the next time you're in an argument, you call somebody a vapor. 
I mean, that's just kind of crazy. I mean, he says, he says, you're a vapor. Here's, here's what James is designed, again, to communicate. He says, for you to be all that God desires for you to be and for you to persevere, even in the midst of, of persecution and anxiousness and at perhaps seasons in which, which all the things in life are not adding up, is the first thing that you need to do is you need to keep God first. This is the, the illustration that he's given. He says that the particular people that he's talking about... Um, he says, here is how they have begun to talk in the midst of their trials and their tribulations. They said that, that we're going to get up, we're going to drive down to Miami, man, we're going to... Uh, we're going to uh, have a you know, particular kind of transactions, business transactions, and we're going to make all of this, this money, and we're going to bring the money back, and, 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 and it's going to be all good. Somebody say all good. It's going to be all good. And, and, and again, when you first kind of read that, that doesn't sound crazy. That sounds like, just, that sounds like good planning, right? It sounds like uh, the, the thing that you should do perhaps when you've lost everything. But, but here's what I love what the Holy Spirit often does, is the Holy Spirit uh, is able to kind of pull back, um, is, is able to kind of pull back, you know, sometimes the windows and the doors of our heart and really kind of reveal what's going on in this particular text. Because here's what James says here. He says that this is not about them getting back what they've lost. This is actually about them boasting in arrogance. He says in verse 15, he says, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. He says that, that what's taking place in this particular, this particular text is, is not just these people who have desired to, that they've lost everything because of them following Jesus. It's not just their desire to get things back. Here's, here's what's actually taking place in their heart, that, that in, in, in light of them losing everything, they've forgotten about God. He said they've They've forgotten about God. Because, because here's, here's one of the things that I see in this particular text, is this text reveals for us that, that, that often the thing that we do really well can become the thing that keeps us far from Jesus. So you have to imagine this. I, I see if, you, if you're married in here, if you have a good friend, it is what I've often seen at times when I'm integrating, you know, engaging with married couples, is that before you met the brother and got married, he was uh, decisive, he took charge, he was a leader, he didn't take no, you know, didn't take no, he, he followed through with everything. And here's what typically happens when that couple gets married and they come in for marital counseling. Guess what the wife says? He takes control, he never takes no for an answer. Uh, I mean, he, he's really, really, like, and, and so, so here's, what, here's what you often see is, is whatever that person's strength is, whatever, you, whatever attracted you to that particular person often becomes the thing that annoys you most when you're in deep relationship. Maybe you got a friend. You said that friend is, she's so gregarious and she likes to have a good time, but, but you often realize that sometimes the challenge you have with that friend is that friend gets on your last nerves because of the same exact thing. So you see here in this, particular text, here's, here's what James wants to reveal to us, is, is that there's a particular temptation when you and I face difficult circumstances in our life for us to retreat and to do the thing that God has wired us to do, but to do it in a way that leaves Jesus out. For, for us, for us to, to be really, really diligent, but not prayerful. For, for, us, for us to 
you know, to get up on Sunday morning and we've, we've served and we've got, you know, cake and cookies and everything ready. But we've not said, Jesus, thank you for waking me up this morning. Thank you for the activity of my limbs. Lord, thank you that you woke me up this morning. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my, my friends. Thank you for my family. And, and so here's what he desires to reveal to us in these particular situations, especially like when you and I are pressed. What often happens is we retreat to that which is most comfortable. And it's often the way in which God has wired us. Because here's what I'll say, and I'll just, I'll just I'll readily admit to you all this morning, if y'all promise not to tell anybody. <laughs> promise not to tell anybody. And I'm a preacher and I'm a pastor, but when life gets really, really challenging and frustrating, I don't run to God. I, I, I just love being busy. I love working. I love productivity. I love, you know, I was a church planner, I mean, you know, getting signs together and getting logos and getting things all crafted together. Like, I, I loved doing those things. And here's one of the things that I often saw when life was kind of pressing me down, is that instead of running to Jesus, I ran to what made me feel good. Things that I did well, the, you know, whether I was a good communicator or speaker or whether I really liked counseling. So here's the warning for us is that when life begins to press us, we've got to run to God. He says here in verse 15, he says that you boast in your arrogance. You boast in those things that you do well. He said those, those things have become the comfort for you. Those things have become the place of, of comfort and rest for you. And here's what it says after this. It says all such boasting is evil. Again, James, is one of the, James isn't pulling any punch. James is not trying to grow a church by making you feel good. This is, a raw, this is a bad way to build a congregation. James says that when God is not the first person in your life, that it's what? It's evil. He doesn't mix words. He says that it's evil. And here's what John says in verse 17. He says, so it is what? It's sin to know the good and yet not do it. James reminds us when, when we feel the pressure and the weight of life, that as Christians who have podcasts and good preaching and good teaching and small groups and service groups, here's what James says, that it's sin to not do what you know you should do. Anybody ever had a grandmother say, you know, you know better. You know better. So the encouragement that we have here, again, just imagine for all of us at a particular point in life, perhaps like the, the, the pressure that I'm talking about, like you feel it today. And again, maybe some of you young folks are like, I don't feel anything. But just keep on living. <laughs> you, you, you'll feel it. You'll feel it. My knees hurt right now. You'll feel it. And it's this, this, this reminder that regardless of what you're going through, you've got to keep God first. And I love here when... When James talks here, whenever you see sin or evil mentioned, you might say, what's the application of this particular verse? The application, whenever sin is mentioned, is repentance. Whenever sin is mentioned, there, there's this clear opportunity in the New Testament that we would say to God, God, you're not the first person in my life. Boyfriend is, or the girlfriend is, or the job, or the church plant. Or oh, my kids, like you're, you're not the first priority. And so the opportunity that we have here is to say, God, I'm sorry. Things are out of whack. They're not where they should be. I just want to invite us this morning, again, as you're 
kind of thinking through this, is there a particular area in your life where you have to be completely honest that when, when kind of life kind of feels topsy-turvy and the world feels upside down, where do you boast? Do you boast? Do you hide in the things that you do well, the, the accomplishments, the things that kind of help um, absolve the pain for a particular moment, or do you find your life and your worth and your identity in the cross of Christ? Amen? Amen. Amen. If you say amen, they won't know I'm talking about you. All right. Keep going. <laughs> here we go. Number two. So here's, here's the first. Again, when we feel the weight of life. Here's the first thing, again, is that we have to, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, in verse, we saw, let me see, verse 13 through 17. What was my first point? First point was we've got to, first was we've got to keep God first. That's Keep God first. Priority. That's the first P. I'm going to give you all three P's so I might forget. The first P is priority. The second P is perspective. The third P is patience. I did that all for y'all. I came all the way from Boca to do that for y'all. Here we go. All right. So the first one is what? Priority. Second. Third. Patience. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Verse Verse chapter 5, verse 1. And so here, here's what he does. So he kind of goes from general. Again, he said, come now. He's just kind of giving this, this open invitation. Here's what he says in verse 1. Now he says, come now, you rich people. He says, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted. Your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Wow. Pastor, thank you for giving me this verse this week. Amen. So, so he goes from general to specific, and, and here's what we might say here. You might, might look at me and say, well, Stephen, listen, listen, I'm a student. <laughs> I've got $12 in my account. Let me check out for here. Let me check out. This is, this is not actually talking about me. But here's, about, honestly, very honestly, if you live in America, you're rich. You, you are wealthy. As I hate to say, I wish I could, I wish I could, we could just kind of pass over this, but it says that you, you so everybody in here got something. Everybody in here put on something this morning. A- amen? Everybody's, everybody's dressed this morning. We need to call security. All right? <laughs> so, so he gives this invitation. He says, come now, you rich people. He says, weeping well of the miseries that are coming in. So again, again, we got to remember that the context of this particular letter is, is that James wants these believers to have a faith which is visible even in light of difficult circumstances. He says he wants them to have a face with physical. And so the first thing that we see that the particular con- part of the congregation is dealing with is, 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 is running, you know, running from Jesus to what they do well. And here's kind of this second thing. It says here, it says, come now, you rich. You said you weep and well. But here's what we see in this particular verse is, is, is that James wants to give them perspective. He said that's what we all need. We, we all need perspective because here, here's what he's describing here. He wants these folks who are wealthy, these folks who have, um, they've got financial goods, they, they're well-connected. Uh, he's kind of warned against in the earlier part of the chapter, like, you know, us uh, making sure that there's no partiality within the congregation, that we're honoring everyone as a follower of Christ, that we're not, um, that we're not esteeming people based on uh, the dollar signs. So when, when you guys walked in this morning, Pastor John didn't say, let me see your checkbook or your balance to see, and, and he kind of put you in seats. Like, that, that didn't take place. But here's what it says here in, in, in this particular chapter, is what James is trying to do is James is trying to give them a picture of what their life looks like at this present moment. 
So again, these, these are folks that they are experiencing persecution. And, what, and, what, and when you naturally experience persecution, you, you often want to get back what's lost. So that's what we saw in the first part. But here's what we see here. And, and what he's trying to do is to link this. And he's saying that the activity is not just you running from God. It's actually you hoarding what you got. You, anybody ever been burned before? I mean, by relationally. Like this particular person, you just said, uh, man, this, that's the last time I trust that person. I mean, like, just like they've said something about you, they've, you know, you're, you're, you know, mistrust or something like that. And so what he's, again, kind of pointing out in this particular verse is that the natural inclination when you've been burned, when you've been uh, kind of under the weight of, of persecution is to, is to turn inward. And, and what we see here in this particular verse is that it's gotten so bad for these folks who have wealth and who have um, resources that it's gotten so bad for them it is, is, is that in, instead of being generous with what God's given, they've started to hoard it against, hoard it against themselves. And, and, they've, and they've hoarded it to the point where it says here in this particular verse, look in verse 4, it says, look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out. And the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ear of the Lord of hosts. It says, you've lived luxuri- uh, luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourself. So, so their sin and their lack of trusting in God as their provider has affected those who they're in relationship with. It, it, it's, this, this, again, there's so many implications here, but here's just one that I just want to point out is, is that your sin and our sin affects other people. It affects other people. I mean, imagine being in a particular situation as a Christian where someone is praying to God, to God, their relationship with God, because of a way in which you have wrongly, um, in, a way in which you have been unjust towards them. So, so and, but here's the kicker here, is that these are folks in the same congregation. So you've got employers on one side and employees on the other. And, and what James is pointing out, he says that, that here's, here's the trip about this, is, is that the folks that you've been unjust towards are the folks that you are in vital relationship with. And he begins to talk about a lot of different things. He talks about judgment here. He's, again, he's talking about the eating your flesh like fire. That's just a reminder that, that on the day of judgment, we all will stand before God. We all have to give an account for our life that, that we... Uh, will be aware of the ways in which in times in our life where we have not trusted the provision of Jesus. He says, I just I want to give you some perspective. And here's what we need, brothers and sisters, is, is when, when life is difficult, when life is challenging, uh, when, when life is not working out the way that we would expect, the way that we hope, here's what we need for God to give us perspective. He says, we, that's what James is saying here in this particular verse, he says, I I need you to wake up. I need you to see that the way in which you're interacting with with God and interacting with this community, that there are are natural consequences. And and he said, I I need you to understand without a shadow of a doubt. Here's what it also says in verse 6. It says, you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who do not resist you. Here's here's what James has said. Man, you're not in a war. And, And the casualties as a result of your faithlessness are the innocent. It says, you've condemned, you've murdered. 
the righteous who does not resist you. One of the things that happens when, uh, when you have a lot of kids is, is um, just in general, my wife and I, we live in an apartment, and, and so sometimes uh, uh, Tiff, will, Tiff will go out for a number of hours, and then I'll, you know, I'll go out for a number of hours, and sometimes we kind of come home, and uh, it just looks like something's blown up at the house. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, I mean, we look around, and we say, did someone else come in here? I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. You know, we, and they're little. I mean, it's, you know, eight, five, three, two. And, and Tiff and I will sometimes just kind of look around and we'll just say, wow, like this is, this is life, like for the next 20 years. <laughs> but what we often say, like when we're kind of looking around at the mess, is we'll say, wow, we need a game plan. Like, like, like when we see the mess, the mess reminds us that we need a plan to avoid chaos. And here's what I think James is trying to say in this particular verse is, is, is we need perspective so that we don't end up in a mess. And, and here's the thing, and that perhaps even for at times like when we, when we see the mess, is for us to have a plan to address it. And I think one of the, 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 the plans to address this particular year, I mean, I think one of the primary ways, for, I think, for you to have perspective, one is the Word of God, is for, the, is for the Word of God to do His work on your behalf. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and the Word of God is, is able to, to discern um, our hearts and the thoughts of our hearts. So we need the Word of God. But then secondly, here's what you need, is you also need some community. You need some folks that you are in relationship with that know the real you. Because there are often times in my life, again, where, where I might lose perspective. And you need a brother or sister in Christ. You need somebody that you're connected to. You need pastoral leadership to say, you know what? Let, let's, let's follow Jesus together. Let, let's, let's follow him together. So again, here's the first. First point is what? Is that we need to keep God first. Second is that we need perspective. And for us to have perspective, we need the word of God and we need the people of God. And here's number three is that we also need patience. It says here in verse 7, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. So again, John, what James has done here is he's gone from really general to specific. So he's talking about just all you people in general. Then he's talking about you rich people. And here's where he kind of, imagine that he kind of um, uh, desires to come close. And he says, he says brothers and sisters. And the reason that he addresses brothers and sisters right here is that he's talking about those who follow Jesus. He's saying that like those who have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Those who have believed about themselves what the scriptures say, that, that, that I am a sinner, that I've fallen short of, of God's standard. And, and, that, and that for me to be in right relationship with God, here's what God had to do. God had to send God, man, and human flesh to live the life that I could not live. And here's what we see in the cross all throughout the New Testament is we see that for us to be in right relationship with a perfect and a holy God is that there had to be a person that provided the, the bridge for that to take place. So God pours out his wrath upon Jesus. Jesus is buried and three days later he rises, raises from the dead and he appears to his disciples for some 40 days. But, but here's the offer of the gospel. The offer of, of the gospel is a relationship with God through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
It says, therefore, my brothers and my sisters, those who have trusted in the finished work of Christ upon the cross, he says, be patient until what? Until the Lord's coming. Hold up. You mean till Friday, right? Now you're talking about, okay, God, so James, you're talking about to the 16th, till payday. No, what does he say here? He says, be patient until the Lord's coming. And I love what he says here. I think the reason, again, that he, that he books it, he says, brothers and sisters, he says, he says, be patient until the Lord's coming, because this is an explicitly Christian fruit. It says, you know, Galatians 5, it says the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against those, there is no law. He says, for, for you to be patient until the Lord's coming, you need the Holy Spirit. He said, you, you need spiritual maturity. So, so the, the focus here is, is, is that we would be patient because we realize that we live in a world which is not yet, which is not yet under the full reign of Jesus, but one day will be. And as Christians, we realize that we live in a fallen and a broken world. So here's what James says is that we need what? We need patience. And, 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 and patience is just a, another word for spiritual maturity. Because I always tell my wife the other day, sometimes I love my wife. I mean, I love my wife all the time. Not sometimes I love my wife. I love my wife all the times. I love my wife all the time. Get that. Y'all edit that out. Um, and, and, and sometimes my wife will send me these texts, and she said, she'll say, I didn't kill somebody today. I wanted to. She's talking about these kids. She said, I didn't kill somebody today, but I wanted to. <laughs> and, and so whenever I walk in the door... And I count, I'm like, okay, one, two, three, four, five. I'm like, good, okay. Nothing happened that could end us <laughs> on hard copy or something like that, or just <laughs> something crazy. And, and, so, and so even, again, kind of jokingly, my wife says, hey, I, I really uh, feel like a, a kid could get hurt in this house today. What, what keeps her from perhaps doing what she might really, really want to do is, is maturity. I mean, she's been able, I think, in her own mind to kind of weigh the, the cost, the cost and the benefits of a kid existing until college. She's been able to kind of weigh that out. And, and that's what I believe that God wants for all of us, especially when we experience difficult times in our life, for us to have the maturity to say, God's still on the throne. He's still on the throne. When my bank account doesn't work the way that I want, when I get cancer in my body, when, when the church plant doesn't grow as fast as I would hope, here's what God wants from his children. Say, you're still dad. I trust you. I believe that you're good. I believe that you love me so much that you sent your one and only son to do what I could not do. If you gave me Jesus, then you'll take care of me. That's what his desire for his children. And, and he desires for us to live this, this peculiar life as Christians where people look at us and they say, there's something odd about you. But what's odd about you is that you're connected to Jesus. That's why you can persevere. That's why you can make it. 
That's why you don't throw in the towel. That's why you keep pushing. That's why you, you plant a church in Hollandale. Is it, you believe that the God that you serve is mighty. Amen? Yeah. So you keep pushing. You don't throw in the towel because you realize that the Lord is on the throne. He says, he says, again, he gives an example. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient to receives the early and the later rains. He says, you must also, again, he says it one more time, you must also be patient. He says, strengthen your hearts. I love hearing this particular verse. He says, strengthen your hearts. Here's, here's what this means, is, is that it's not just Pastor John's responsibility to grow you. What does it say here? It says, strengthen your hearts. I love, we got, again, I'm, every example is about my kids. Is sometimes my kids, especially the eight-year-olds, will, will walk around the house and they'll say, I'm hungry. Daddy, I'm hungry. And guess what they walk by? The refrigerator. <laughs> I'm hungry. And you know, sometimes what we have is we have Christians that have been Christians for 30 years. And they'll say, pastor's not feeding me. You know, pastor, he, you know, he must have been tired this week because I ain't getting my word. The kids must have kept them up. Pastor, I'm just going to look in this section and see who's quiet. <laughs> well, if you would have just sent the notes for the sermon, I would have been okay this week. Well, we didn't have a, why did we have a young couples fellowship this week? Why didn't all those things get? And he, what did James say? He said, if you want to grow, what do you need to do? Feed yourself. See, so you pick up your Bible. See, so you pray to God. You ask God to, to feed you and to grow you and to mature you. And here's what Pastor John needs. He needs mature Christians. I said the worst thing for a church plan to get is baby Christians. Because you realize everything isn't put together. Everything isn't, you know, ain't no light, no strobe light, ain't strobe lights around here. There's none of that stuff. He needs Christians that love God and desire to see God move powerfully in this neighborhood. At the end of the day, he said, look, feed yourself. When you get up in the morning and say, God, I'm going to take my 15 minutes. I got my daily bread or, or I've got something sent to my phone. And I'm, I'm going to go back over the notes that Pastor John did this particular week. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed myself. And here's what he also said. Here's, here's the motivation. It's not just to please. It's not pleasing Pastor John or myself. He says, because the Lord is near. Just the Lord is coming back. Because he said the Lord is coming back. We've got to have to give an account for our life. And, and, and at the end of the day, if God gives us 80 years, then I want to maximize the 80 years that God gives me. Amen? Amen. He says, brothers and sisters, again, he says, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. Again, what the scriptures have, what you have all throughout the Old and New Testament are this, these consistent pictures of how God is, is, has shown up time and time again for those who love him. That's why I love reading the Bible. Because the Bible reminds me that I'm not alone. And, and here's the crazy thing. And I say this. That, that even if you and I were to perish, here's what the scriptures remind us. That we're going to rise from the dead. Amen. Like, so, so, so your perspective has to not just be Facebook or Instagram. You've got to have some heroes that have been through some stuff where you can say, oh, God did that. So Job lost everything. So Job was, had, had money, influence. He had a family. And Satan comes to God and says, give, give me him. 
and Job loses everything and you go through 40 chapters of all of him experiencing all these kind of crazy things and, and things that perhaps you and I might say, look, I would have thrown in the towel a long time ago. And the scripture says at the end of that particular story is that God was compassionate he was merciful towards Job. He said that everything that Job lost, God restored to him a hundredfold. He says that, that we as believers, that we've that we've got to be reminded it says here in verse 11 it says see we count as blessed those who do so, so here's what he says he says that we count as blessed those who endure but at times as Christians we're unwilling to endure like the people who are the, 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 in the hall of fame of faith are people who went through things to experience God in a unique way and, and, and so again here's this reminder he says that, that you as Christians as followers of Jesus that you will suffer but here's the promise that we have, is that when we suffer, when we experience situations in our life which are difficult, which we feel like are stretching us, that the God in and through those trials and those experiences is desiring to conform us to the likeness of Christ. He wants to make you more like Jesus. That's why in the midst of, of difficult circumstances, whether it's cancer in your body, whether it's a, you know, your bank account being low, whether it's being in a particular season where you don't have a bunch of clarity, that's why you can stand on God's promises. And he says at the last part of verse 11, he says the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It's compassionate. Now I think of the word compassionate, it just means that, you know, you know again, I'll say something about my, my kids is, uh, is all my eight-year-old daughter has to do is say daddy. When she says daddy, I melt. And, 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 I'm, and again, I'm, I'm, a, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not the perfect picture of a father. But it's just a reminder, it says the God that we serve is compassionate and merciful. Merciful means, just means that we don't, we don't get what we deserve. Amen? That's why God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus in our place so that you and I would not get what we deserve. So here's the first P. What's the first P? Is that we got to keep God first. Second is that we need to ask and pray that God would give us good perspective. And the way we get that is through God's word and being connected in community. And then number three is that God would give us patience. That that is this process of spiritual maturity, that God would grow us, that God would strengthen us to be the people that God would have us be. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. I thank you so much for this amazing congregation, this church.